It is Friday, September 23rd. I'm Scott Seidenberg. And I'm A.J. Hoffman. Thursday Night Football kicked off week three of NFL action. And an NBA title favorite's going to need a new head coach for this year. Here comes the Vegas truth. This is Straight out of Vegas. Welcome into Straight Out of Vegas AM, your daily destination for sports conversation with a Vegas lean. Here's what you need to know to start your day. The Cleveland Browns, 29-17 winners on Thursday night football. Ime Udoka has been suspended by the Celtics for the entire 2022-23 season. West Virginia gets a rivalry win over Virginia Tech. What is the Vegas lead? We will start with the NFL. And the Cleveland Browns improving to 2-1 and one on the year with the 29-17 win over the Steelers. The final score may be a little bit deceiving because they fell on the fumble in the end zone on the last play. I guess they were trying a Stanford-Cal play yeah. with the laterals there, the Pittsburgh Steelers. But a win is a win is a win. It is. And the Browns 2-1 and one has to feel pretty good, you know, given, given the givens because they – they could have been 0-2 going into this game. They could have been 2-0. They were 1-1. So getting a good solid win here feels like a win for this organization. I will say this. I thought Jacoby Brissett at times played well. He looked That's very fair. He, and I, I thought it particularly looked good when they hurried the third, up the offense. Yes, and there was the third down play that he converted. He had the 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 quarterback sneak. He goes for five yards. Like I, I just thought that... There were times watching Jacoby Brissett where he reminded me of the Jacoby Brissett that used to fill in for the Colts, that, 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 that Bill Belichick wanted to be a backup with the Patriots and get some time. He looked competent. Now, it certainly helps your competency when Nick Chubb's running for five yards of carry behind yeah. you. Like that, that opens up a lot. Amari Cooper made some fantastic plays as well. Uh, David Njoku, a nice security blanket, a career high in receptions for him with nine. So an overall good night for the Browns offense, I would say. The Steelers, on the other hand, <sighs> listen, Mitch Trubisky, I mean, Mike Tomlin knows better than we do who the better quarterback is right now between Mitch Trubisky mm-hmm. and Kenny Pickett. But I fully understand Steelers fans wanting to see what they've got in Pickett because Mitch Trubisky, we thought maybe a year in Buffalo, a year with McDermott and Dayball could fix him and make him. I mean, clearly got him paid, which is nice. If you're a, if you're a failed quarterback, Sam Darnold might want to sign on as Buffalo's backup next year and see if it can get him some money, but. What we've seen of Mitch Trubisky so far this year is underwhelming, I think is the nice way to say it. Well, here was Mike Tomlin after the game talking about his quarterback situation. I thought he made some plays, man, but we all collectively came up short. And, and so, you know, that's how we measure performance, man. Winning is our business, and we didn't handle business. And so we don't, you know, break that apart and look for the feel good. Would he consider making a swap at quarterback? I'm not in that mindset. Um, I'm interested in reviewing this tape and looking at the totality of it and figuring out how we collectively get better. So the answer to that question is definitively no. So that's Mike Tomlin, I guess, giving a vote of confidence to his quarterback. But it's just hard It's hard to feel like there is any confidence right now. Well, the right offense now, is doing. not doing anything, AJ. And, and it's it's 
bad because the defense really is keeping them in football games. And you look at what they've done offensively through the first three weeks of the season, 14 points against the Patriots, 17 points here. The 23 points they scored, they they got by, and it took overtime, right? Yeah. So think about it. In week one, all the turnovers and then the blocked kick, and you win it in overtime. Yeah. And then week two, you keep it close, but you lose a tough game, close game to the Patriots. And then in this one, you're, you're, you stick close with them for the whole first half. No one's really scoring in the third quarter. So you're in this game, and then you let it slip away late, and your offense just never does anything. Do you feel better or worse about the Steelers than you did coming into the season? Oh, boy. I think I feel worse just because offensively no one's – and I can't put it all on Trubisky because no one's helping him out. George Pickens did on that one catch. George Pickens had an incredible play. And Chase Claypool, they did like a a, a little quick pass, quick toss to mm-hmm. him. He – he looked really good on a, on a nice run play. There's some some things that they do they're doing well, but it, it, Najee Harris is supposed to be the backbone of this offense. Not a great day for no. Najee Harris. And, and the reason why I bring up the scoring output on the Dream Pod this week, we talked about the Carolina Panthers and how bad they've been. There was a stat that we gave out about Matt Rule and the Carolina Panthers and how their record when they allow 17 or more points. Mm-hmm. They're 1-25 and 25 straight up. That's how bad their offense Oof. has been. And that's where... Think about they, that. You score 18 points, you win. But that's what's happening against the Steelers. It kind of is. Right now through three games, I can't trust this Steelers offense to score more than 17 points. And so if you're the opposing team and you get into the end zone three times against the Steelers, you're winning that football game. Yeah, and listen, the defense is – if you're saying – and like you said, the the Browns score is a little wonky because it, it was 23-17 until mm-hmm. the last play. But you're holding the – you hold the Bengals to 20. You hold the Pats to, to 17. You hold the Browns to 23, which isn't great, but it's not awful either. It feels like the defense is doing enough. Even without T.J. Watt, they're doing what should be enough, although they didn't get a whole ton of pressure tonight. But the offense is so poor that it's going to be difficult for them to win many games. Maybe their most winnable game uh, of the season coming up next at home against the Jets. Yeah, although the Jets' offense has looked kind of decent. So if the Jets can score 18 points, they might be able to win that football game, right? That's what we're saying. I don't know how many more games. (laughs) I don't know how many more games the Steelers are favored in. Uh, I I think that this might be the Jets game might be the last home game that they're favored in. And then I think they're close at Atlanta. They're close at the Panthers. Mm-hmm. But I, I just I think that this is – the market has decidedly turned against the Steelers, and I, I think rightfully so. So you asked the question, does our opinion change or how do we feel now about the Pittsburgh Steelers? Let's, let's ask it about the Cleveland Browns. Does your opinion of them change? Do you feel any differently about the Cleveland Browns after seeing them come away with the victory and improve now to two and one, the Browns have played the Panthers, the Jets, and the Steelers. Who we just said the Steelers are, are a big disappointment. Yeah. So it's hard to know because really, they're, they're like I said, their first two games were coin tosses. 
they're going to Atlanta next week. So mm-hmm. are we going to learn anything then? It just so happens that they had a really, really cupcake start to their schedule. And this is what everyone talked about. When Deshaun Watson was initially thought to be out for four games, right? Everyone thought about that four games at the beginning. Sure. And then, you know, six games, whatever. But you looked at the schedule and you saw Panthers, Jets, Steelers, Falcons, and you said, you know what? If this team can go two and two, they're going to be all right. If they go three and one, it's icing on top of the cake. But there's no way this team's going to go one and three in these right. four games. Well, right now they've done what they have to do. They're two and one, and in an AFC that's pretty deep, maybe they can get into the playoffs. Yeah, I don't feel any differently about the Browns than I did coming into the season. The Browns have basically met expectations to me, so I, I, it's hard for me to say if I, I – I certainly haven't upgraded them. I'll say that. Uh, I do feel a little bit better about them because I liked what I saw from Jacoby Brissett tonight. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. So I, if, if you want to say that Brissett's a little better than we thought he was, I think that's fine. But at the end of the day, you're going to look at his number and go, well, he did throw for 220 yards. I really think Nick Chubb being Nick Chubb, yeah. it'll make everybody look good. Well, having two running backs sure. is what's going to make this team look good. And they carried the ball 38 times in this game. What was it? 39 carries, I think it was, in week one against the Panthers. And then against the Jets, they carry the ball 37 times. So we're talking about a team that's running the ball more than anybody in the NFL. And that's not a surprise. I think what you should also consider is – and I know that Deshaun is not a very liked person these days. Deshaun Watson, when he gets back to this team, has never in his career had this kind of running game behind him and this kind of defense on the other side of the ball. Deshaun Watson may be a monster mm. when he comes back. And obviously it's you know been it'll have been a year and a half since he took a, a snap. Sure. But it, so there's gonna be rust. But if Deshaun Watson's anything like the last time we saw Deshaun Watson play. The Browns could be scary, and if the Browns can just hold hold things down while he's gone, get, remain competitive for that last wild card spot, something like that, that's a dangerous team at the end of the year. So the Browns improve to two and one on the year, while the Pittsburgh Steelers fall to one and two. College kids at it tonight. My leans on the the games yesterday morning. Not so accurate. West Virginia, 33-10 over Virginia Tech. I thought Virginia Tech's defense could keep a minute. I said, JT Daniels, not that good. And he wasn't. 203 yards and a touchdown. But the offense for Virginia Tech is just so poor. We we talked about the Steelers. How are they going to win games with this offense? Virginia Tech may be in that same boat. There was one point in the third – it might have been the fourth quarter of this game where Grant Wells had – more rushing yards than everybody else on the team combined. And it wasn't like you're talking about the Virginia Tech quarterback, Grant Wells, rushing for 100 yards. And that, that okay, I can understand that. If a quarterback rushes for, you know, 70, 80, you're 100 yards. Grant Wells isn't Mike Vick, is what you're saying. No, no. Grant <laughs> Wells had 15 rushing yards in this game. And he was the leading rusher. Not only was he the leading rusher, he had more than all of his running backs combined. So here's the breakdown. They rushed 18 times for 35 yards, the Hokies did. Grant Wells, 193 yards passing. He did throw for a touchdown. But as we talked about last night on SOVAM, he has the potential to throw interceptions. And he threw a pick six here in the fourth quarter that 
basically eliminated any chance that you thought Virginia Tech had it coming back in this game. Yeah, game was relatively close uh, through three quarters. Uh, I mean, you were talking about a, a 16 to 10 game and fourth quarter dominated by West Virginia capped off by that pick six like like we mentioned but I think at that point you know what at some point Virginia Tech realized I got to make something happen Grant Wells had to make something happen because he wasn't getting any support from his running game and it cost him so uh not a great game for Virginia Tech defense is great not great enough Mm -hmm. uh Coastal Carolina really impressive win 41 24 over Georgia State Coastal moves to 4-0 Georgia State falls to 0-4 this game immediately So the Coastal takes back the opening kickoff 50 yards. Then the next play, 50-yard touchdown pass. They're in the end zone. And 14 (laughs) seconds into the game, it's 7 to nothing, And they just rolled on this Georgia State team, never really let them back into the game. It was a 10-point game at half, uh, but Coastal just had too much. And the offense for Georgia State, which I expected to see better out of, just wasn't there. The fun belt. uh, Does Coastal have a chance to go unbeaten this year? No. I still don't believe that this Coastal team, based on what I saw the first three weeks, this is by far the best game they've played. Remember, they they beat Gardner-Webb mm-hmm. by four points. So they they beat an, an FBS or an FCS school by four points a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think that they're going to run into some problems when they start playing the, the Old Dominions, the Appalachian States, the Southern Misses. Uh, and even they've got another conference uh, non-conference game at Virginia late in the season. So I don't see an undefeated season for, uh, for the Shants. Let me ask you something here about Jamie Chadwell. He's 34-19 as the Coastal Carolina head coach. Is he the next up-and-coming hot commodity in the college football coaching circles? And could he be a name that maybe a school like Nebraska would consider? Or is that too big of a jump to go from the Fun Belt, the Sun Belt Conference, going to the Big Ten? It's funny. It's a good question. My initial thought is, in the in the old days, I would have thought, yeah, it's too much of a jump. And I remember when Charlie Strong took the Texas job, I said, "Ooh, this is a uh, a heck of a, a heck of an upgrade." And it, it didn't work out for him. It, you know, when when Tom Herman went to Texas, going from Houston to Texas, like, I, but Nebraska now may not. I don't think Nebraska's the job that it was mm-hmm. even ten years ago much less 20 years ago. So now maybe it's going to a, I hate to say a bottom tier Big Ten school, but it's at least a bottom third Big Ten school. So maybe that is a a decent move. I do think he should be careful about where he goes because Nebraska is going to be a tough place to win. And and once you get marked as a loser – it's hard to get that off of he's, you. I don't think it's not going to be the Nebraska job, but it will be a Power Five job. I agree. Uh, he's had tremendous success uh, last year, eleven and two. The year before that, eleven and one. So he's had a uh, coincidentally with uh, Grayson McCall quarterback, but he's had a nice run there at well, Coastal Carolina. But I think I mean Billy Napier going from UL Lafayette. To, sure. uh, to to Florida, Florida yeah. which Florida's a way bigger job than Nebraska ah, at this yeah, point. Of course it is. Uh, so it, it's not impossible. Yeah, like, we've it, seen it. Yep. We've absolutely seen it. Uh, speaking of Nebraska, according to a report from a couple of days ago, uh, three leading candidates for that job, Bill O'Brien, who <laughs> is that. now the Alabama offensive coordinator, 
Kansas head coach Lance Leopold, who I think is tremendous. He's done a great job. And Iowa State head coach Matt Campbell. And Matt Campbell's going to be mentioned in every job search ever. Yeah, he's one of the best. He's had plenty, in the to, plenty of chances to leave. He hasn't yet. And then one last final today: Illinois over Chattanooga, thirty-one to zero. They were twenty-one point favorites. The Illini and uh, Tommy DeVito threw for three hundred and twenty-nine yards and three touchdowns against Chattanooga. Nice little celebration in champagne on a Friday evening. Pop the champagne. <laughs> we got some more college games coming up here. We'll get to those in the look ahead, plus some big games on Saturday's schedule as well. Let's take a look at the NBA and the big story today. Ime Udoka, we mentioned it yesterday morning. We mentioned that he was facing some discipline. Well, now we know the Celtics have suspended Udoka for the entire 2022-23 season, effective immediately. It's team site's violation of team policies and mm-hmm. its announcement. Twitter has its own uh, beliefs of what's going on. But Wojnarowski says he had an intimate relationship with a female member of the franchise's staff. Yep. And, you know, he apologizes to the team. He accepts the punishment. What kind of downgrade do you think the Celtics are facing here? Well, there hasn't been any movement in the odds right now. I think we have to find out who's coaching this team. What are and what's the impact going to be? Joe Mazzulla is going to be the head coach. He, he, that's the that's confirmed. Yeah, he's the interim okay. head coach. Uh, and obviously, if they were going to fire Udoka, they'd hire a new coach. But the, yeah. the fact that he's suspended, Joe Mazzulla is going to coach the Celtics this year. You know, I I had a thought. The Celtics also have a pretty good head coach in their front office. That was my thought, (laughs) is that Brad Stevens steps away from his president role and comes back to the bench for a season. I mean, it's not – I think if things start to go ugly early in the season, that wouldn't be insane. Mm -hmm. It's exactly – it's like the opposite of Pat Riley. You know, Pat Riley, when he was in Miami, oh, things are going bad? Good luck. (laughs) Things are going great? You know what? You know what, Stan Van Gundy? I'll take it from yeah, here. Take I it got from here. this. We got this. I got Shaq. I got Dwayne Wade. Yeah. Win a title. But, but Brad Stevens, I do believe if, if things look like they're falling apart, I could see Brad Stevens saying, okay, this is, I got to get down here. I got to take care of this. And I'm of the belief, Brad Stevens, if, if you said, look around the world, pick the five best basketball coaches in the world, Brad Stevens would be on my list. Yes, I would agree with that. And, and he's I, not even a basketball coach anymore. Yeah, and but the Celtics are also they're the favorites to win the NBA Finals. They are pretty, not, I don't want to say substantial, but a decent favorite to win the East over the next highest team, which right now is the Brooklyn Nets and then the Milwaukee Bucks. So this is a team roster-wise that everyone expects to get back to the NBA Finals. And coaching-wise, we have to acknowledge Udoka did a tremendous job, and they struggled early on in the season, but a lot of speculation about that was because they were trying to get adjusted to his system, his defensive system, and they had, from December on, the best defense, or January on, the best defense in the NBA by far. And a lot of it was credit to Udoka and the way that he, uh, you know, moved Robert Williams to be a, a perimeter yep. defender. Robert Williams is going to miss a couple of weeks, by the way, after having knee surgery. So there's reason for, you know, to be cautious with this Celtics team for now. If you like them, 
maybe hold off to start the season and see if these odds shorten up. I think at some point, yeah, there's going to be an adjustment. And this isn't a very liquid market right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think as, it, as, as more money gets into it, I do think that the Celtics will become less of a favorite, if not removed from the favorite spot overall. 28-7 and seven record over their final 35 games. That's a, just a tremendous run and going all the way to the NBA Finals for the first time in 12 years. So Ime Udoka suspended for the entire season. Joel Mazzulla takes over as the interim head coach. All right, let's take a look at the biggest games on the schedule for week three of the NFL. And let's start with the Buffalo Bills, five and a half point favorites at Miami. I know, Scott, you have a strong take on this, and it's a ballsy one. Yeah, I gave this out on the Dream Pod as my best bet this week, and it was the Miami Dolphins catching six points. The line is now down to five and a half. And I just think that this offense, whatever Mike McDaniel's doing, is working because Tua was the worst quarterback last year in in throwing into tight windows. He forced throws. And this year, he is top five least amount of aggressive throws into tight windows. Now, what does that say? Does it say he's less aggressive and he's not forcing the ball into tight windows so he's making better decisions? Maybe. Where I'm taking it, AJ, his receivers are open. Yeah. Last year, not a lot of separation. This year, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell are getting open. And I was watching some some tape. You know, we I have the NFL Plus subscription, sure. so you do the all twenty two angle, and you get to little have a fun. You get to pretend you're a coach and, and watch the, the yeah. game tape. And Miami did a couple of really interesting things. They went five wide, but they went five wide with a tight end and two running backs. So that's what it's twenty one personnel. And so you had Waddle, you had Hill, you had, I think it was Chase Edmonds, and you had Gazeki, not in a standard formation. It was in a shotgun spread out, looking like they had five wide receivers. Now, why, why, why is this important? Why do I even mention this? Because when you have those types of players on the field, you're... The opposing head coach or defensive coordinator. What are you doing when you see that? Before they even line up at the line of scrimmage, you look in that huddle. You expect that they're running the football. So what do you do on defense? You stack the box a little. Well, you substitute in some linebackers, right? Yeah. So maybe now you're running a single high safety, just two cornerbacks, and you put another linebacker in there. Now they split you out wide. How do you cover that? And then you get Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle doing all these short routes and burning your guys. Now, here's the, here's the question. It's darn impressive. It is. Here's the question. They did this against a Patriots team without J.C. Jackson, who didn't go out and replace him. Mm-hmm. And they did it against a Ravens secondary that's decimated by injury right now. And let's not forget, they were in a hole 35-14. They were in the fourth quarter down 21 points. Yes. So they, they found themselves in a pretty bad hole. Now they're facing the best defense in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And they're facing a defense who, when they see, oh, that you've got the personnel out here that you're going to run the ball, okay, the Bills say, run at us. We don't care. You can run all day at us. We're going to worry about when you try to make a big play. Sure. And I, and I think 
there's no question compared to the Patriots and the Ravens, this is the most explosive offense they're yes. going to see. So the while the Dolphins have impressed me so far, if the Dolphins end up if they end up losing that game 38-35, mm-hmm. Tua's stats look nice, but this isn't a five and a half point spread. Well, I have a best bet on this game. It's not just with the point spread. The other thing I will say, the final thing I'll say about the point spread is this is what I brought up on the Dream Pod. If you looked at the line for the Titans at the Bills last week, it closed at Bills minus 10. 10. The, but with the Bills being a five-and-a-half to six-point favorite on the road in Miami, which give the Dolphins two points for home field, that means they're a seven-and-a-half to eight-point favorite on a neutral. Give the Bills two points for being at home. Now we're saying that the Bills at home against the Dolphins – would be a nine and a half to ten point favorite, the same spread as it was against the Titans. It doesn't make sense because the the Dolphins are much better than the Titans. But when did we find out for sure that the Dolphins are much better than the Titans? When the when the Titans played the Bills. Yes, the Bills will make you look bad. Very true. The reason the entire market's still down on the Rams is what everybody saw mm-hmm. Thursday night football week one. The Bills make teams look way worse than yes, they, they are. Do. That's my concern here. I'm, I don't have a strong take one side or the other. I know Josh Allen has dominated the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Different coach. I get it. But their old coach was more of a defensive-minded coach. So now you've got you've, you've got Josh Allen going against someone that's not Brian Flores. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, but I think this is one of the more interesting games on the card for so sure. Here, here's my best bet on this game. Tua Tunga-Vailoa over 258.5 passing yards. All right. The Bills create a ton of pressure on the quarterback. Without blitzing. Without blitzing. Tua has the third highest quarterback rating in the NFL under pressure this year. So you want to pressure him, that's fine. He's doing a great job of getting the ball out quickly and finding his speedsters at wide receiver. We're talking about a guy who, yes, the stats look great after the fourth quarter last week, but still he threw for over this number against the New England Patriots in week one. So it's not like Tua's averaging 230 yards a game and then has the explosive fourth quarter against the Ravens. Tua threw for 469 yards, yes, against the Ravens, but also in week one, he threw for 270 yards against the Patriots. So I love Tua to go over 258 and a half passing yards. And if you think the Bills are so good and they're going to be winning, well, guess what's going to happen? More throwing. More throwing because they're going to be losing in the fourth quarter just like they were. They were down three touchdowns to the Baltimore Ravens. So Tua over 258 and a half yards. And I think so, and something I would have I was scared I would have been scared a year ago to play this because there was always a possibility that Tua would get benched. I don't think that possibility exists right happening. now. So that, that I do like that going for you. All right, let's take a look at the Packers at the Bucks. This game is a pick'em, and I said on the Dream Preview, this Bucks team, it's all about health. And right now on the offensive side of the ball, they are not healthy. The Bucks are likely to have two healthy starters on offense. So think about this: they were already without three starters on their O line. Tristan Wirfs has an ankle and an oblique injury he's dealing with. Josh Wells, who filled in at left tackle last week, left that game with a calf injury. His replacement, Brandon Walton, has never started a game in the NFL. Godwin's out. Julio's banged up. Evans is suspended. It's Leonard Fournette's banged up. It's literally Tom Brady, Shaq Mason, and either backups Mm. or guys who are playing hurt. And through two games, 
Uh, Preston Smith for the Packers has the highest percent of pass rush snaps that have resulted in pressure. They are getting after the quarterback. And with this offensive line, I think the Packers defense is ripe to have a field day against this Bucks offense. It just isn't the real Bucks offense. What do you see on it? Well, yeah, it's going to be Leonard Fournette and Russell Gage as his two <laughs> primary weapons on offense for Tom Brady. There's a lot that I do not like about this Bucks team. The health is probably the Paramount, number one yeah. thing. Yeah, so uh, for me, I'm with you. I'm on the Packers in this game. And you, you, you look at the Tampa Bay Bucks; they fall into a very interesting trend for week three in the NFL. For more on that, here's R.J. Bell. Week three, one of the great paradoxes of NFL betting is when it comes to trends or systems, is you rarely, if ever, have enough sample size, enough games that fall into a trend or a system that allows you to have statistical significance, which just means you don't care about the rationale. The numbers are so compelling. So if you can't get that big with the sample size, why? Because there's only 17 games, used to be 16 and additionally, when the years pass, the circumstances change, different quarterbacks, different coaches. So if everything stayed the same, yeah, 20 years of data, you can have some big numbers. But what does 20 years ago have to do with the NFL today other than at a structural level? You can say maybe Monday Night Road Dogs or whatever, home favorite, but home dogs. But you don't get many times that the sample size is big enough. So what do you have to do? You have to get sample size that gives you compelling numbers plus rationale, logic. Now, in the beginning of the season, there is often systems, which are league-wide, trends are team-specific. There's systems that are counterintuitive. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Let me give you a, one example. This is one if you said, build me an overrated team in week three. I would say, okay, they won the first game, they covered the first game. They won the second game, they covered the second game. And they're a big favorite in the third game. This is like the team of teams. Now, there's no team that even meets that criteria this year. Like the Bills, they covered and won and covered and won, but they're not even a six-point or bigger favorite. And that's kind of the threshold I created. Those teams, though, that are super-duper inflated, super-duper overrated, you would think, 12 and 3 against the spread since 2013. So what we often see early in the season is teams put a ton of energy into games in spots that you wouldn't necessarily expect. So just like in the playoffs, big favorites tend to do well because they're focused. Well, it looks like even in week 3, they're focused in these spots if they did really well the first 2 weeks. Now, here's a trend that I'm going to give you a best bet on. And it might feel counterintuitive, but I think there's logic to it if you think about it, which is a team that played an away game, away game, home game in week three. So first two weeks on the road, third week at home, home opener. You might think that team is going to do really well, right? Now, 36% against the spread. That goes back all the way 30 plus years. And we got 90-plus games in the sample. So it covers about one out of three times. I thought to myself, okay, let's, let's find a few tighteners. What's a tightener? You get a trend underlying, or in this case, a system underlying. It's really good, but we can find a way to carve out even better. And here's the beauty of it. 
even if we are maybe overfitting it a little bit, which means we're kind of putting too many conditions on it, which we're going to try to avoid that. But even if we do, we know it's coming from a big hole that the whole piece of the trend or system that is good to start with. So if you told me, hey, there's 100 um, ping pong balls in here and there's 60 of them that are red and let's say or let's say green. Right. There's 60 of them that's green. And that means money. That means we did something well. I would pull in and pull one out of the hundred and feel pretty good about betting 50 50. I'm going to get a green one. But if I had some kind of logic that said, oh, I think if I go down to the left, I'm going to get more green. I might be right. I might be wrong. But the worst I'm going to do is 60 percent in the long run. So that's why if you overfit things that don't have a winning core, that can be a problem. Overfitting things potentially. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. I don't think we do. That have a winning core means you can't do much worse in the long run or any worse than the core itself. Now, other people would say, yeah, but you're losing games because you're eliminating them. Yeah, you're right, but I'd rather be conservative. It's hard to win. I'd rather be conservative. Okay, so what's the tighteners? Is if a team is a big favorite in that home opener, they just do better. We saw that in the first trend, so we eliminate that. All games that are over six points favored, uh, we're saying no thank you, even if it's a way away home. And then there's two other conditions. One is if the offense did much better last week than expected, that tends to continue. So we're going to eliminate those teams, and then we're going to eliminate defenses that did much worse than expected last week. Because when a defense does worse, it tends to motivate them the next week to play hard, where when an offense does better, the momentum seems to continue. So that's the only conditions. Away, away, home, and we're starting with a 36% core, and we got it down to 23% that we're going to fade. So keep in mind, those um, tighteners were good spots in this trend that we eliminated because we're fading. The trend is about fading a team. There's a couple teams that meet this condition, but one of those teams, the team that we're fading, the Indy Colts. So if you think about it, the Indy Colts, they were away. They were away. Now they're home. They're not favored by anything, right, not more than six, and they didn't do exceptionally well <laughs> on offense, and they didn't actually meet the criteria of doing exceptionally poorly on defense, though they got, you know, shut out and 24 points or whatever, but it wasn't enough points to be that poor. So the Colts are in a spot you would think would be good. And a lot of people are saying bounce back, season on the line, blah, blah, blah. But history says this is, and, and the exact number, 10 and 33 against the spread. Teams in this spot, 10 and 33, and they miss the spread by nearly a touchdown on average per game. And if that wasn't enough, AJ has, I think, a great on-point coaching element to this, a handicap that also points to the Chiefs. Thanks, RJ. Yeah, the, the Chiefs are my best bet as well. Listen, last year when Patrick Mahomes was going through that eight-week span in the middle of the season, things weren't going well for Patrick Mahomes. Five game, two games against the Raiders, five games against non-Raider teams. Against the Raiders, he was phenomenal. 134 more yards per game. His, his passing percentage went from 52% to 74% in those two Raiders games. Seven touchdowns and no picks versus two touchdowns and four picks in the other five games. 
in the Raiders games, best quarterback in the league, QBR-wise. In the other five games, his QBR was worse than Sam Darnold's. This was a hard time for Patrick Mahomes. The Raiders were his get-right medicine. The Raiders D.C. last year, Gus Bradley. Mm -hmm. The Colts D.C. this year is Gus Bradley, who refused to do what everybody else in the league was doing, putting up that, that shell. He said, this isn't what I'm comfortable doing, or I don't have the personnel to do it. I've never done it. So he's going to be in a position where he knows his way doesn't work against Patrick Mahomes, so he's either going to have to change his way, which is uncomfortable, or he's going to keep doing what he's done, more of the same. Patrick Mahomes is going to light this Colts defense up. The Colts are just bad. I, I think it's safe to say this Colts team, whatever you thought Matt Ryan would be, and I actually thought Matt Ryan could succeed here, Things are not looking good for the Colts. I think their coach is on the hot seat, and the Chiefs look like a juggernaut offensively already. Going against Gus Bradley's defense, I think it gets even uglier. I'm on it with you, AJ. Uh, I, I think that's I'm going to piggyback off a of best bet there Come on. And, and ride with you there with the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's set the stage for everything you have coming up here on Friday. It's time for The Look Ahead. And I'm going to fast forward to talk about the chase for 61. The Yankees take on the Red Sox, 7.05 Eastern time from the Bronx. Aaron Judge did not homer last night. He went 0 for 2 with three walks. Garrett Cole's on the hill for the Yankees. Rich Hill gets the start for the Red Sox. Boy, I wish Aaron Judge, uh, I bet Aaron Judge wishes he was facing Garrett Cole, his own pitcher, because Garrett Cole, one of the top pitchers in baseball this year and giving up home runs. Uh, But Rich Hill has given up his fair share of home runs this season. Hill has allowed 12 homers in 23 starts, so about a home run every other start he allows. But uh, the guy has a 4.7 ERA and pitches batting practice, uh, in my opinion. I think Aaron Judge could possibly get it. Did you know, and I'm very curious, because this is an Apple TV game, the Yes Network and the Yankees were trying to negotiate a swap or a loan to allow Michael Kay, the voice of the Yankees, to call the game on Apple TV uh, on Friday night. When Apple TV said no thanks? As of the article that I read, Apple TV had yeah, not accepted No that. thanks, friends. We're good. Isn't that amazing, though? Because like the Yankees want to have their guy of course they do. call the home run. Um, and, yeah. it's, it's gonna you will, They'll go with the radio one. That's what they'll go with the radio yep. one. Yeah. Um, Michael K said uh, that he has turned down any type of loan like that out of respect for the Apple TV play by play announcer, Steven Nelson. I'm guessing Apple said no thanks. Yeah. And that yeah. was the end of that but discussion. But that's nice. Like, you know, you don't want to step on uh, a fellow play by play announcer, but. Yeah, I mean, could you, look, he has called so many historic Yankee home runs, and you know, Derek Jeter's three thousandth yep. hit was a home run. Jeter's final hit, we just watched. I just watched the Captain documentary, so I'm thinking <laughs> of all the calls. But no, no disrespect to Steven Nelson on Apple TV, but if he's the one calling Aaron Judge's sixty first home run, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to remember that. So you're hoping that he doesn't hit it tomorrow. I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life, like seeing, uh, you know, because I wasn't alive when Roger Maris did this, you know. So, you know. So are you hoping it doesn't happen tomorrow? I'm hoping it doesn't happen tomorrow. I think that's fair. I don't want to see it happen. I want my announcers to call Aaron Judge's home run. I don't care who does it. (laughs) 
Doesn't matter to me. <laughs> Let's move on to Major League Baseball schedule here for Friday. The Cubs take on the Pirates. Uh, Bryce Wilson gets the start for the Pirates. Goes up against Javier Assad for Chicago. This is a pick'em game. The Reds host the Brewers. Eric Lauer on the hill for the Brew Crew. Mike Miner going for the Reds. Nationals are at the Marlins. Josiah Gray on the hill for the Nats. No announced pitcher yet for Miami. Braves are at the Phillies. Jake Odorizzi gets the start for the Braves. Aaron Nola on the hill for the Phillies, who are a minus 155 favorite. The Phillies with a 1-0 shutout victory over the Braves last night. Atlanta a game and a half back of the New York Mets for first place in the National League East. The Astros are at the Orioles. Jose Urquidy on the hill for Houston. They are minus 155. Dean Kramer goes for Baltimore. Blue Jays are at the Rays. Mitch White on the hill for Toronto. And it's going to be Jeffrey Springs uh, getting the start there for Tampa. Guardians are at the Rangers. Texas is minus 120. John Gray on the hill for the Rangers. Angels at the Twins. Shohei Otani. Gets the start for the Angels. No announced pitcher yet for Minnesota. Tigers at the White Sox. Eduardo Rodriguez on the hill for the Tigers. Lucas Giolito for the White Sox. Chicago minus 180. Padres at the Rockies. San Diego minus 160 with Sean Manaya on the hill against Ryan Feltner for Colorado. The Mariners are at the Royals. Uh, Marco Gonzalez gets the start for Seattle. Brady Singer for KC. Mets at the A's. Chris Bassett. Gets the start against his former team in Oakland. Cole Irvin starts for the A's. Mets are minus 235 with an over-under of 7. Man, that's low. Carlos Rodon gets the start for the Giants against the Diamondbacks. And Cardinals and Dodgers. Jose Quintana on the hill for St. Louis. And Andrew Haney on the hill for the Dodgers. You didn't even give me any love for calling the under in the uh, the Diamondbacks-Dodgers game last night. You did. I never give a baseball opinion. I was right. I'm a genius. Can we acknowledge what my selection was? Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks plus a half a run in the first (laughs) five innings with my boy Zach Gallon on the hill. 13 Ks for Zach Gallon. A 1 1 tie after five innings. Sounds like a winner. Meaning the plus a half a run was a winner. All right, let's continue on with the look ahead. College football tonight. Virginia at Syracuse. The Orange. 10-point favorites at home. Nevada at Air Force. 24-point favorites is Air Force. And Boise, minus 16 at UTEP. Take a look at some of the biggest games going on this weekend in college football. Noon Eastern on Saturday, number 5 Clemson. 7-point favorites at number 21 Wake Forest. Number 17 Baylor is a a 2.5-point dog at Iowa State. 3.30 Eastern, number 20 Florida at Tennessee, Tennessee favored by or by ten and a half. Pardon me, number eleven, Tennessee. Notre Dame at UNC. There's been a flip on this line. UNC now minus one and a half at home. Seven o'clock, Arkansas at A and M. A and M two point favorites in a neutral site game at Jerry World. Then at 7.30, the big ABC game, Wisconsin at number three, Ohio State. Ohio State favored by 19. The big late game, 9.30 Eastern time, number seven, USC, five and a half point favorites at Oregon State. And speaking of that Oregon State-USC game, AJ, according to Caesar Sports, more money has been wagered on Oregon State to cover against the Trojans than any college or NFL game this weekend. The book has reportedly taken a $110,000 bet on Oregon State, plus several 
five-figure wagers on the Beavers to cover the spread. You know why? Because I gave it out on our college podcast college at college six bus, and right? a half. Yes. They said, oh, They're following it sounds us. juicy, even though you said... I don't like this. I just don't want to step in front of the train that is the Trojans. <laughs> but you're willing to step in front of the Buffalo Bills train. That's uh, it's an odd dichotomy. Let me ask you about one more game here on Saturday, and it's the Kansas-Duke game. Oh, the game's on the tip of everyone's tongue, I got to tell you. Kansas is 3-0, and which means they've already exceeded their preseason win total of two and a half That's, that's wild. That's, uh, it's one of the best stories in all of college football. Kansas is a seven-point favorite over Duke. And for the first time since November of 2019, and just the second time in the last 13 years, Kansas has sold out a football game. It's unbelievable. There will be uh, all 47,233 tickets have been sold. And I think without Mike Krzyzewski, it's it's reasonable to question how if the Dukes are still going to be a blue blood. I think if, <laughs> if the Blue Devils can still keep up in these blue blood matchups, you know, I would have three res- and zero versus three and zero. It's such a terrible joke, but I actually would have respected you if you said without David Cutcliffe, I'm wondering how this Duke team would do because Cutcliffe was there forever, and so you know, <laughs> yeah, but they stunk forever. They're three and zero. Give some credit. Before we get out of here, AJ, we have to. Make a change to our contest selections. We could not put, what was it, Central Michigan. Central Michigan. So we have to replace it. What pick are you going to do to replace Central Michigan on the contest sheet? On the contest, I'm going to go with the Toledo Rockets, minus two and a half at San Diego State. Toledo, I do think, is the class of the MAC. San Diego State, who was so great last year, not the same team. Not a good defensive team, not a good offensive team. Their only win so far is against an FCS school. They got blown out by Arizona. That's eye-opening. I just think this Toledo team, too good for them. I think they're gonna I think that they're gonna cover this number pretty easily. But for the contest, we only have to give two and a half. Right now the market's at three with some three and a halfs popping. That's a, a big advantage because it's a key number there, unless we go into double overtime, which we do not want <laughs> to see. Uh, for the rest of our college football picks uh, for the William Hill Contest, be sure to listen to the College Football Podcast right here on this very Dream Preview feed. And if you're looking for more NFL takes, deep dives on every game, Check out the NFL Dream Pod on this very feed as well. He's A.J. Hoffman. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Have a great Friday and a great weekend. This is Straight Out of Vegas AM.